What? Where did you hear that? Well, I go on the internet sometimes. Don't go on the internet. Watch TV or talk to people. Good morning and welcome to episode 137 of Effectively Wild, the Daily Baseball Prospectus podcast. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh in Long Beach, California. Joining me as always is Sam Miller. Hi, Ben. Hello. Uh, and joining me, I guess, for the second time, maybe, uh, is Doug Thorburn, who is here to talk about the A's. Hello, Doug. Hello to the internet. Uh, we are going to talk to Doug about the A's, and then Pete is going to talk to John Hickey from the Oakland Tribune uh, about the A's again. So let's start with our talking about the A's. Uh, what are we going to ask Doug first? So um, we've uh, talked on this show, Ben and I have, um, about sort of the distinction I draw between the A's and the Orioles, where the Orioles, essentially the players got lucky because they didn't play very well and yet they won a lot of games. Whereas the A's front office got lucky where they had a bunch of players who aren't very good, but who did legitimately play well and earned those wins. Um, and that's just sort of a flip way of describing the club. Um, I just wonder whether you think that there's any fairness to that characterization. And if so, um, whether that spells doom and regression. I, I think there's a lot to that characterization, actually. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you just look at the run differentials, the A's were, I think they were at plus 101 or plus 99, right around there, and they were right there with Texas. And uh, when it came to the Orioles, that was the, that was a big thing, was their lack of run differential, all of their, their extra inning games and their one-run games and all those records. But I also think you're right about the A's kind of getting lucky on their, uh, their off-season transactions especially. I mean, getting rid of... Uh, Cahill and Bailey and Geo and coming up with guys like Malone and Parker and Reddick who made such a huge difference and, and Ryan Cook. I mean, they got so much out of that and they couldn't have possibly expected expected to get more out of Malone than they did. I mean, that was that was a home run and I do expect some regression from him this year. But at the same time, they got guys like Parker who has. I mean, I think he's just starting to scratch the surface of his potential. So I think you're right. I think they kind of hit the the upper end of what could be expected. And I mean, obviously nobody expected them to do that. So they, they blew all their projections out of the water, but everything kind of worked out the right way. And I do think they're due for a little bit of regression this next year, but they're still going to be stronger than anyone thought going into last year. That's for sure. So Parker, you uh, mentioned Parker. Parker's a guy who had a, a really great rookie year um, and has some sort of, you know, a fairly uninspiring strikeout and walk rates. Um, and so normally if you're looking at a young guy, you might put a lot of emphasis in, in those two things. Do you think that there's a reason to think that his future is a little bit more limited now? Or was this just uh, about getting acclimated to the majors? Do you see a, a sort of a step forward across all facets of the game coming? Uh, I do see kind of steps forward, especially he's only, what, two years removed from Tommy John's surgery. And they say command's the last thing to come back. And he still had like a league average walk rate. Uh, but what was most intriguing to me was how his velocity crept up throughout the season. I mean, you would think a guy who's going under unprecedented workloads might kind of tire down the stretch, but it, it wasn't a huge jump, but I believe his velocity went up every single month from May through the end of the year. And uh, especially for fastball changeup guys, for him, he's got something like a 12 mile an hour spread between his fastball and his change. And you just rarely see that big of a gap. And so if he can continue to, to work that spread. I mean, those fastball changeup guys who have command, they're the types that tend to fly under the radar, and you just don't expect them to 
be as good as they are, but a lot of guys can survive on just that combo. And you rarely see someone with the 95 mile an hour heat who can also bring the change up down, you know, around 82, 83. So I think that combination, as long as he can command it, is going to work well for him going forward. How did he? Is, is yeah. there a, just to ask a pitching question, since you're a pitching expert person, uh, is there kind of an ideal spread between those two or is there a point at which it's too much and you can pick up the change up because it's so much slower i think there could be a, a too much but usually it has to do with how they're repeating the delivery and you'll often hear arm action come into play here where you'll say the guy has fastball arm action despite you know throwing the change up some guys are actually slower to the plate on their change ups so they're off speed pitches and other guys are physically slower with the arm so it can be picked up be telegraphed uh but for a guy who has the same arm speed, you basically want as big a gap as possible. Now, I can't imagine a guy having a gap much bigger than 12. I mean, 15 has to be about the cap there where, I mean, I don't know anybody who has a 77-mile-an-hour changeup. But uh, having that differential, I think, is key. Um, it's especially interesting when you see guys like, I think, Felix Hernandez. I think his changeup now is within about four miles an hour of his fastball. But he has so much movement on it, especially so much arm side run on it that he's effective anyway, because he's not effective because of the change of pace. He's effective because of the extra movement. But for someone like Parker, for him, it's really key to induce weak contact. And that's where that change of pace really comes in, just getting guys out on their front foot. So um, you mentioned his velocity going up as the season went on. How does that happen? It's a good question. Um, I would say some of it has to do with strength and throughout the season how's his conditioning doing especially as he gets further and further from surgery that's sort of the extra x factor to me to because i don't think we've seen 100 percent of parker yet i think he's still getting everything together so when i see that kind of an increase throughout the year that's really optimistic as far his as far as his future projection um i could see him showing up in spring and kind of taking that next step forward this season especially if that command really starts to come together so um you know, obviously, with the caveat that all rumors could be totally false, we heard a rumor this offseason that uh, the Royals offered Will Myers to the A's for Brett Anderson and that the A's turned that down. And Ben and I were both surprised by that, both um, because of uh, service time issues and Myers' um, pedigree, but also just because, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, I think I said all the right words there. Yeah, but also because uh, Anderson has been really um, undurable. Um, and not really very reliable uh, health-wise. Um, why, if if we assume that that rumor is true, what do you think the thinking is there in, in turning that trade down? Yeah, that really surprised me when I heard that, actually, because I, I agree with you. I mean, Anderson obviously has been injury-prone, and I'm a real big fan of his. I think he's a great pitcher. I mean, he's, he's the son of a Division One pitching coach. I mean, he definitely he knows his mechanics. He knows what he's doing. The only explanation that really makes sense to me is that the A's have such a crowded outfield, I can't even imagine where Myers would play. Now, given that the A's are usually into just value and have stockpiling as much movable value, they have no problem trading their guys, I, that's what made me surprised about it. But I think that they're looking at it as they have a legitimate shot this year in the West. Uh, the West is a really intriguing division to me because the, the Rangers got a bit worse. They lost Hamilton to the Angels, and then the Angels lost Grinky and a bunch of their pitchers. So... I feel like both teams are maybe a little bit weaker. Or the Angels just are high volatility, and the A's might be seeing this as a window that they didn't expect to have for contention. So perhaps it just wasn't worth it as far as their 2013 odds. But I, I was surprised, too. I, I feel like that would have been a good trade to pull the trigger. 
Um, last year, the A's got pretty quality um, performances out of a lot of starting pitchers. Young guys, um, old guys, pretty much everybody who stepped on the mound seemed to be a solid starting pitcher except for Tyson Ross. Um, but a lot of those guys, like sort of we alluded to, um, had you know not the highest pedigree um, or they are Bartolo Colon. Um, do you think that the A's actually have a lot of starting pitching depth or what might one reason be that they actually are worried about where they're going to get um, five men for a rotation come July and, and August? I, I do think it's it, it's not safe to just say that those guys from last year are going to repeat this year. I mean, young pitching is so volatile, and, and I do think that Malone played a bit over his head. I like A.J. Griffin, but I can't see him repeating those ratios for a full season. Uh, they have a lot of guys that are untested, and when you have young arms, not only do you have injury risk, but you're probably not going to get really heavy workloads from these guys. So they're not necessarily envisioning 220 innings out of either of these pitchers. So uh, they might be just trying to stockpile those innings. And, and I think you're right. I do think that some of their – they lost McCarthy. They lost you know some of their uh, some of their depth. They do have maybe Sonny Gray the second half of the season. They have Dan Straley who could step up. I can't imagine that they feel very comfortable with Bartolo. I mean, who knows what you're going to get out of him this year. He wasn't supposed to do what he did last year, and now we have all the allegations and all that fun stuff. You know, if he's not throwing 92 again, then he may not be so effective. Uh, so it could be that, exactly as you said, they just felt the need to stockpile innings in a season that could be one that it was had a contender. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, they trade Chris Carter, uh, basically, for Jed Lowry. And um, so Brandon Moss will be the first baseman, and there's not really a uh, plan B uh after him do you think this was a vote of confidence in moss that he can do what he did last year for a full season or was it just sort of uh kind of a vote of unconfidence in carter or is it just what they needed to do to get lowry and does moss deserve i guess does moss deserve a vote of confidence in your opinion (laughs) I, i think it was a little bit of both i do think they were getting frustrated with the carter show uh just wait what is the what is the what is the carter show Oh, he's just so streaky. I mean, you know, he'll carry a team on his back for two weeks, and then he'll go hitless for a month and a half. I mean, that's what it feels like anyways. I mean, the guy is so hit or miss. Perhaps he has, you know, holes in his swing that are easily exploitable, and the A's just wanted to kind of get out from under that. But he seems like the perfect complement to Moss. That's what didn't really make sense to me. Um, Now, Moss actually hasn't been terrible against lefties. He was okay last year um, in, like, 80 play appearances or something. And that's the problem. He just hasn't faced many lefties. And you have to think there's a reason why they keep protecting him from left-handers. So I don't know what they're necessarily going to do for the other half of that platoon or if they're just going to trust him the whole way and how that's going to work. But I do think there's a piece to acquiring Lowry where they're kind of going for this, kind of what the Rays are doing, where they just plug and play a bunch of guys and can move them around the infield. I mean, you're going to have Lowry who can play, you know, short second, third. They've got Sizemore who can play second and third. Um, if that is if he can stay healthy, and that's just it. They have so many question marks with these guys. They don't know if they can trust Ricky Weeks or Josh Donaldson or how much time Adam Rosales is going to get or if uh, if Grant Green is going to come up and just sort of play everywhere. They have all these different pieces that I don't think they necessarily know how they're all going to fit together yet. And last year they utilized so many platoons. I think they're going to try to take advantage of that depth this year. And so the infield is sort of a it's sort of a mystery to be honest. I I thought they had a good platoon there with Carter and Moss, but 
I guess now they're, now they're going to take their chances with somebody else at first. I was going to ask you how you saw the second base situation playing out because I wrote a thing for this week about some spring training position battles, and, and that seems to be one where half the team is involved in the battle for second base, as you're <laughs> kind of saying. Uh, so I don't know, maybe you kind of answered that question already. Maybe even the A's don't know at this point whether it's Weeks or Sizemore or Green or Rosales or Lowry now involved also. I don't know if it's something that kind of the, the starting job on opening day goes to the guy who hits best in spring training or whether there's a favorite going in or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or if they're going to kind of move guys around based on platoons. I mean, uh, I believe they've said that Sizemore has the leg up on the job, but I mean, they can't give up on weeks. I know last year was a complete disaster, but I was actually really impressed with weeks professionalism when he got sent down. I mean, you know, these guys are all saying the right thing, but I saw an interview with him immediately after he got sent down, maybe two hours afterwards, and he was just so, so upbeat about it and just was very cognizant of the things that he needed to work on. So I believe they'll give him a chance to win that job back if he shows the performance. So I think you're right. I think spring training is going to show a lot, especially with second base and then how they're going to shuffle the chairs for shortstop and third. Yeah, I read, right, and, I read no, something at, at Athletics Nation that just kind of talked about the the depth in various areas on the teams, whether it's starting pitching or the fact that they seem to go too deep or more deep at every infield and outfield position. And and the, the thesis of the post was that the A's don't really have any idea what who's how this is going to shake out exactly. They're just sort of playing the odds and that and, and kind of going in safety and numbers and just stockpiling a whole bunch of people and hoping it will shake out some some way some people will earn the starting role or other people will get hurt or injured and and they just kind of feel like it'll take care of itself i don't know i, I think they have a, a plan that. for it but i think you're right i do think they're going to let guys earn their positions and earn their roles i think part of the plan is that they have all this depth they will you know see how it shakes out in spring training i think we'll see them move guys around a lot during the season keep them fresh i think that's their one of their market inefficiencies that they're going to try to exploit this year that, again, the, Roy, the Rays have really done a great job with and being able to move guys around. So, you know, stockpiling all that depth is, I guess, the best way to do it, um, especially with the outfield. I mean, they do have their outfield pretty much set. They've got a lot of depth there. It's going to be weird if we see Coco Crisp, you know, playing DH or something. But, you know, he has the bat to hold it down, I guess. But, uh, you know, they, they have enough of that depth in the outfield, but I think they can afford to sort of see what happens with the infield. But I think that's part of their plan is to let guys earn their roles. All right. And, uh, last thing, Ioannis Cespedes defense. Um, he doesn't seem to me to be very good. Uh, but the A's let him play in center field for a while over Coco crisp and then moved him. Um, what is your sense of how he is out there? Uh, I, Obviously, he has speed. I think the first the first movement is the limiting factor there. Uh, I, I feel like he actually has the arm for right. But with Redick out there, there's no reason to even bother putting Cespedes out there. But uh, I, I believe it's his speed that gets him consideration in center field. But I do think that because he doesn't get the best reads out there, that left field is probably his ultimate destination. But then again, with Cespedes, the big question mark is his development. I mean, to me, he's so intriguing. I was... I was one of the guys who thought he should probably start the year off in the minors just to get the reps, and I didn't know how well he was going to his game was going to translate to the majors, and he was a surprise 
all over the field. So it could be the kind of thing where he just has a, a tremendous learning curve and is learning on the job and could end up being a plus defender out there. I was just reading a poll at MLB Trade Rumors from about a week ago on the best offseason acquisition by the A's. Uh, about 42% of their readers thought that it was the Chris Young trade. Uh, about 25% thought it was the Jed Lowry trade. About 20% for the John Jaso trade. And about 11% for the Nakajima trade. And then a couple of percentage points for other uh, do you agree with with the assessment that the that the young trade was the best move made by the A's this winter? Do you think that was the best of their of their trades at least? I thought so. As far as obviously perceived value, but also real value on the field. Um, really, the Diamondbacks were a bit of a head scratcher this year, and I'll talk to you uh, in early March about that one. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I thought they sort of took advantage of the situation and and got an asset that I, I think they could probably flip him right now for a better return than Pennington. But he's only a one-year guy, so that I, I have a feeling he could be a casualty in July of the trade deadline, depending on what they need, because right now they have plenty of outfield. It could be that they find out they have certain holes in the infield by the time the trade deadline comes up, and then that's where Chris Young comes up, or maybe Coco Chris. But uh, I just think it was an opportunity that they seized at that point, because they needed a shortstop. didn't necessarily, necessarily make sense to pick up an outfielder and lose a shortstop, but when you look at the, the actual value exchanged, I think they had to do it. Oh, Ben. I, I said, I said, I, I said last question. <laughs> can't, can't do that. Could always be I got to, I got to establish last question early so that you, <laughs> so that you can get your last two or three. in after that, all right, predictions. Um, I see 87 wins. I think, uh, again, I think they're going to take a little step back from last year. But I do think they're much improved from people's expectations before. However, I think 87 wins might only be good enough for third in the division. But then again, I, I don't know. I see that I think the Angels and the Rangers and the A's, all three of them, I kind of see them as 87 to 92 win teams. So it could come down to, you know, that's, that's a week's worth of games right there, a good week or a bad week. So, I mean, we saw what the A's did last year. They weren't in first place till the final day of the season. It may not be that different this year. I think it's going to be a grudge match between those three teams, and predicting whether they're going to get first, second, or third is kind of a crapshoot. But that, that I could see be three, kind of an 87 win team right now. That could be three playoff teams too if they all win 87. I agree, especially 18 extra games against the Astros. That's going to help out everybody in the West. Well, the yeah. Pacotas are up now, and the Pacotas basically agree with you. Sees all three teams clustered. Between it looks like 83 and 91 or 84 and 91 uh, oh. with the A's in third. Okay, well there you Pretty go. Close. I guess my internal Pakoda machine is working on on preseason form. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we're done. Thank you, Doug. And, Thank you. Uh, after the intro, Pete talks to John Hickey from the Oakland Tribune. It may still be winter, but baseball prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. Joining me today on the telephone to preview the Oakland Athletics campaign is John Hickey, who covers the Oakland Athletics for the Bay Area News Group. John, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. This team has a different look than the one that surprised a lot of people in baseball last season, and Brandon McCarthy, Johnny Gomes, Stephen Drew are all gone. 
Will fans miss their personality or their skills more in 2013? I think they're going to miss their uh, their personality, certainly. You know, uh, Gomes and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it's a bit of a rough start here. Uh, Gomes and McCarthy obviously were were big factors, and, and of course McCarthy was a huge story when he, when he took the ball in the forehead. But uh, they have well, this team has a lot of talent, and I think arguably um, as much or more talent as last year. Um, even though they've even though they've lost, you know, three pretty good players. Yeah, the crowded outfield and talk all winter around baseball seemed to be that the Diamondbacks had an extra outfielder and had to deal one. No matter what, they had to get rid of them. The A's have five in Chris Young, Coco Crisp, Yoenis Cespedes, Seth Smith, and Josh Reddick. How do they plan on managing five outfielders? I talked to Bob Melvin about that uh, day before yesterday, and he was like, "Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a struggle." I I think that that there is no um, legitimate DH. The fourth outfielder becomes a, becomes the DH. Who that would be uh, could be determined by how things go in spring, you know, but. But uh, Chris believes he's a center fielder. Cespedes believes he's a left fielder. Reddick believes he's a right fielder. And Young, although a natural center fielder, is is willing to play anywhere. And then you know, and Seth Smith is is a pretty good player. Is is going to be really struggling to find at bats unless uh, unless things change. So would that be? A but situ- I think it. it Excuse me. Would that be a situation where then they could look to deal somebody if they if they don't see it working out? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, and 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 Billy Bean, the general manager, has never been shy about uh, moving pieces around, uh, as you know. So it would not surprise me if that happened. Um, but I think they're going to give it, you know, you know, three or four weeks this spring to see how things go. And you know, you want to you want to make sure everybody's healthy and that. Uh, there are, you know, no residual uh, uh, hangovers from the off season, so that's all, that's always uh, an issue. But they have a, a really loaded outfield, and they could deal deal one of them if they needed to. And definitely another spot to look at. Of course, the outfield is going to be interesting to watch. Is second base. Um, before we get into the positional battle, what happened to Jamel Weeks last season? Um, there's actually there's such a thing as that that some people believe in some some don't, you know, sophomore slump, and it it the pitchers caught up with him. He he wound up chasing balls out of his zone, and he was a he's a very focused hitter as 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 a, as a rookie. Scouts really liked his his swing. They just you know they think this guy's a legitimate big league, you know, hitter with with some some pop, and that all went away last year. You know. To the point, of course, where he was demoted and, you know, spent uh, in AAA. Um, so history says that guys like that who have legitimate talent generally come back, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least to see that he would do that. But he's got, uh, you know, he's, you know, Scott Sizemore, is, is, you know, is trying to come back. Uh, uh and uh, Adam Rosales is, is uh, you know, has played everywhere they wanted him to play, and so they have 
they're loaded, but they don't know they don't know how it's going to break down. And I I actually am a big Jamal Weeks fan, so I I think by the by the time the season is is, is really developing, that he would be the second baseman. You're listening to the Squeeze on the Effectively Wild podcast. We're talking A's with John Hickey. You can follow him on Twitter at jhickey3. John, you talked about sophomore slumps. How's Jonas Cespedes plan on preventing himself from having sophomore struggles of his own? Well, we talked to, to him about that a couple of weeks ago, and he, he spent the entire winter working out, which he didn't do last year because he was trying to, you know, find a team to play with. And, you know, he just he had to establish a residency in, in Dominican and all that. And he had uh, he he didn't do the things he said he wanted to do in terms of just being prepared and ready. This year, he's going to be, uh, he looks more athletic. He, um, uh, Chris Young looked at him the other day and, 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 uh, and just, you know, his jaw dropped saying, you know, man, this guy, he could, he could really do a, some serious damage. And, and he could, he's, he's a, he's a real talent, but, you know, could there be sophomore stuff? You know, Always a possibility. Never, never uh, uh, go against that one. But this is a guy with legitimate 35 uh, and 100 potential, and I think I think that he is going to be a, a rising star in this league. John, you just recently landed in Phoenix, getting ready for pitchers and catchers. Can you take us through what the athletics camp is going to look like and what it's going to mean for you and your coverage in the coming weeks? Well, you know, for me, this is his homecoming because I, I cover the A's uh, um, for the decade of the '90s, and then I moved up to Seattle and covered the Mariners. So I'm really looking forward to this. This is uh, a really interesting young team. Um, they, they, the keyword is young. They, they, this is a team that, that that you know trotted out all uh, you know you know a half dozen rookies who really had a positive impact. And and play big down the stretch, and you really can't you can't uh, 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 underscore that they had um, um, Malone and Parker and Anderson and Straley went a combined twenty and five after the club lost uh, first uh, Bartolo Colon to the suspension and then and then and McCarthy to the injury. So these are guys who. Who may be young, but they stepped up big time, and it, it's really going to be a story to see if if they can if they can uh, do it again. We believe they can, but uh, you know that's why they play the games. Right, and as a reporter, how much different is the access that you're going to get at, at, during spring training relative to the season? And do you look forward to that to creating some nice content in the coming weeks? Absolutely, you can't really cover a team all year. If you don't cover them in spring training, because that's when you you get them at their uh, at their uh, most relaxed. There's a lot of time. Everybody has has time to spend with 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 you if they if they so so choose. And that makes a huge difference because in the in the course of the season, you're going to need to talk to guys on on uh, days when they're not going to want to talk. And but if you have a relationship with them and they know that you're gonna you, you're gonna do a a fair job, you know they may not may not like the fair job, but if they know you're gonna do a fair job, 
they're gonna there's gonna be much more access for you. So spring training is a is a hugely important time of year for a reporter. Yeah, and, and you can't beat Arizona weather. I'm guessing this time of year. Well, you know the funny thing is it, it uh, it's only gonna uh, kind of be in the low 60s right now. But I think by the time the pitchers and uh, uh, catchers get joined by the uh, position players in a week. It's uh, going to be in 70s, and everybody in the Northeast and the <laughs> Northwest are going to be looking to, looking to Arizona with, uh, with thoughts of envy. Yeah, absolutely. We're all jealous. John Hickey, thanks so much for joining us on this late evening to preview the Oakland Athletics 2013 season. It was a pleasure talking with you. At any time. We'll do it again. Thank you for tuning in. Come back tomorrow. We'll be previewing the Texas Rangers as we continue our look around the AL East.